This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before introducing my phenomenal guest of this week, I just want to personally and professionally thank my corporate sponsors, Halt and Honda, and Forever for believing in myself, my guest of each week, and the content that we bring to you over the airwaves. I also wish to remind and thank uh, everybody about the podcast link eventually going live as well on my Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald host page over on C-Suite Radio Network. So who is my guest today? Well, what I can tell you is my guest is an absolute superstar. Her name is Patty Aubrey. She is always excellent at extrapolating the very best out of the very best. She is sharp, strategic, and savvy, and she knows how to make people show up as peak performers in their own lives and in the lives of countless others, myself included. Patty Aubrey is the co-founder of the Canfield Training Group, former president of Chicken Soup for the Soul Enterprises, and a number one New York Times bestselling author. Patty Aubrey knows what it's like to juggle a publishing company, family, and social obligations, along with the responsibility of developing and marketing more than 250 titles and 500 million copies of the Chicken Soup books and licensed goods worldwide. Patty is the co-author of several best-selling titles, including Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul, Christian Family Soul, and Christian Woman Soul, Chicken Soup for the Expectant Mother Soul, Chicken Soup for the Sister Soul, Chicken Soup for the Sister Soul 2, Chicken Soup for the Working Woman's Soul, Chicken Soup for the Working Mom's Soul, and Chicken Soup for the Father-Daughter Soul. Patty also co-authored Chicken Soup for the Surviving Soul in 1996 to support her mother along with millions of other women diagnosed with breast cancer. She would say this was by far her most important piece of work in publishing. In 2008, knowing the publishing industry was in for huge change, Patty sold Chicken Soup for the Soul to a firm that was committed to taking the brand to the next level. Her new mission is to transform the world by creating hope and the awareness that peace and abundance is within all of us. You just have to believe it to see it. So true. To accomplish this, she has a new goal, which is to train 1 million people by 2030 using the same system used to build Chicken Soup for the Soul and the Success Principles, which shows people how to get from where they are to where they want to be. I want to, again, thank all my podcast subscribers. We're now hovering at over uh, half a million. I couldn't do it without you. So, Patty, welcome to the show. That's quite the repertoire, my friend. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Well, I just want to say I know how exceptionally busy and off the hook you are. I know that you've been doing uh, a lot of traveling as of late with uh, Jack, 
And uh, I just want to say the fact that you set some time aside to join myself and the Loyal Global listeners, I want to thank you for that because I know it's very difficult for you to carve out time for you personally. And uh, so this is such an honor, and I've certainly appreciated all our correspondence uh, in the background, behind the scenes, and other things that you've done for me in my own career. Uh, I just think you're a super, super woman. I think what you do to pay it forward and to be of service to other people is absolutely phenomenal um, because you're under no obligation. People at your level are thriving and flourishing, and you're constantly off the hook, and yet you always make time for people such as myself. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So, awesome. So why don't we kind of jump into, you know, the inception of your journey. That's one item that I always wish to start with, even though everybody knows who follows me, which I'm very grateful for. I'm very unscripted and organic in the conversation piece. So where did this all start for you in terms of you being drawn to the world of publishing, you connecting with Jack, perhaps the backstory behind that? So if you could maybe share that with myself and the listening audience, that would be great, Patty. Sure. Well, um, I, I really wasn't interested in much of anything uh, when I fell <laughs> into this, to be honest. I was, I was pretty pretty much lost and didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And um, I was in the software and development world for a while, and I was married at the time. I was, Ironically, I was living in Santa Barbara at the time. It was about 1989. And I, um, my husband at the time wanted to move back to L.A. to pursue a job in sales. And so I thought, all right, I'll support him. He's and he was really into all this self help stuff and it was funny. He always had things on his on his um on the mirrors in the bathroom and you know, you have to believe it to see it and I always thought he was a nut. <laughs> he was never positive. He was so but he had all this positive stuff around I'm like, this stuff must not work. Right. So I uh I, all I could see was him buying more Tony Robbins stuff that and I just used to get infuriated. So we moved to LA and I decided to look for a job and started looking through the LA Times and I saw an, uh, an ad in the jobs section that said secretary wanted 25,000 a year. And I thought, Ugh, I don't want to really be a secretary, but 25,000 a year at that time was pretty good money. So I, I, my motto was call me anything, just pay me. Right. <laughs> I went and I interviewed with this guy and his wife at the time and and I, I remember going to this – it was in a house, which is really kind of strange today. I think most people probably wouldn't want to go to a stranger's home for a job interview. Mm-hmm. So I go into this three-bedroom, three-story condo with red, shaggy carpet and potpourri everywhere and incense burning. It looked like <laughs> – so I'm, in, I'm in this Pacific Palisades area in California by the beach, and I go into this hippie environment, and I sit down with this guy who I say looked like Howdy Doody at the time. And, um, and it turns out it was Jack and his, uh, wife at the time, Georgia, and they interviewed me. And I, I really, when I left there, Lisa, I didn't even know what they did. I thought, I am <laughs> so confused. This company called Self-Esteem Seminars. I've never really even heard of self-esteem. I mean, it was just, it, the whole thing was strange to me. Yeah. And so, um, basically I, I left there thinking, well, if I get the job, great. If I don't, no big deal. It's kind of strange. And um, I went out to dinner that night with some friends, and I said, I had this interview with this guy, Jack Canfield. Like, oh, my gosh, he's amazing. I've heard really great things about him. And um, and then, said, of course, after, after that conversation, I decided I really wanted the job. And um, But then I got a call a couple days later, and Jack said, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, but we've decided to go with somebody that's got a little – that's a little bit more mature and has more <laughs> in the hotel industry. 
And I said, wow, mature. I said, you know, that's kind of a party foul if you're in the HR department, just so you know. Um, <laughs> can't discriminate. And and so uh, so I was bummed out, and I went and got a different job. And then about three months later, he called me and said, you know, this gal didn't work out. I'd really like you to come back in and um, talk to me again. I just I can't get you out of my head. I feel like maybe we're supposed to work together. Wow. And I said, huh. I said, well, I just got a promotion of this new job, so, you know, it's going to cost you. I, I'm, I can't do it for 25 <laughs> And he said, all right, well, come and, come and talk to me. And I thought, huh, he didn't balk. And I was completely BSing him at the time. Right. And, um, so I went in, and, and I said, well, you know, I, you'd have to pay me 30 And he said, okay. And I looked at him, and I thought, huh, he's nice, he's easy. Maybe 30 can turn into 300 and 300 can turn into $3 million someday. And so I, I left and I went home and I was staying, I think I was, I was going by my parents' house and I said to my dad, yeah, I took this job. And he said, what? I sent you to college to go into business. And, hippie. and I said, well, the hippie went to Harvard. I mean, you know, maybe I'll get a free Harvard education. Who knows? Right. So that was the beginning. And then, um, and about two weeks into my new job, Jack basically just plopped a bunch of stuff down on my desk and said, okay, I'm leaving all, and he was, cause he was on the road all the time uh-huh. at that point. We were doing self-esteem in the classroom curriculum guides, and we were teaching teachers how to facilitate self-esteem to the kids. And so he was constantly traveling to school districts around the country. And it was really the first time for me that I ever got to really own a job. And I I got to be my own boss because he wasn't around. And so I got to sit around and look and think about how inefficient his company was running because he (laughs) – he didn't, he was a teacher and, and he didn't really do the business side, but he had these over, uh, an overhead projector with Crayolas that he would create overhead slides and, um, computers were totally archaic and <laughs> he left and I, I just called my friend Steve and said, Hey, can you come down or can you come to the Palisades and just work with me over the weekend? I want to export all the stuff that they've got in these old alpha micro PC things and let's you know, import it into Macs and create an Apple environment. And, this is the very beginning of Apple. Mm-hmm. So my friend came and did that, and Jack came home. And he's like, what happened? I said, well, I thought if we're going to charge more money for your fees, we got to up-level your environment a little bit. Love it. Okay. So that was just uh, – he was gone just long enough for me to take over, which was <laughs> which was great for me because I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But I think part of it is – you know, part of being a good leader, which he was, was stepping back and giving me the things that I was good at and letting him do what he was good at. Absolutely. And that was, um, that was almost 30 years ago, 30 years in September. And it was, it's been the most amazing ride. Um, and it was about, I would say six months after I started working with him, he said, you know, I have this idea. People keep coming up to me everywhere I go. And they say, do you have that story about the puppy for sale in a book? And it was typically women that were saying this and, and he would say, no, but I have these Nightingale Conan albums or tapes. And, and most women would say, oh, that's great. But you know, I'm, I'm driving my kids all over the place all the time. And I don't really have time to listen to stuff in the car because they're usually talking or they're really short, you know, commutes. Yeah. So he said, you know, I think the universe is telling us to put all the best stories from all these speakers around the world in a book. And I always say to people, I'm so glad I was so young because I didn't have an opinion. I said, okay. You know, not knowing what it was going to be called, not knowing anything about publishing. And so that was in 89, and our first book came out in 93. So we, I think we edited that first Chicken Soup for the Soul book about, I'm not kidding you, we must have gone through the entire book, every story, six or seven times. Wow. 
Wow. Well, what a trip. So, you know, what I would be interested to knowing, because I think for you two to work as closely and as intimately as what you do and to be on the road and you're both married, you've got your respective others, you know, to me it says an awful lot about the synergistic relationship that would need to be in existence between the two of you and continuously evolving and growing one another, not getting fed up with each other. And I'm sure, you know, you go back and forth, you vacillate between everything, especially if you're introducing something new, uh, you know, bringing it to market and you've got to tweak everything and then you've got your different strengths and all of that. And then you've got your partners at home who are supporting what you do and letting you both fly. But, you know, if you could maybe express and share with us, Patty, for the real world, like what what does that relationship, that concentrated relationship of being immersed in personal growth development, being on the travel, um, you know, traveling extensively, like what what does that do for the bigger picture of your whole life? I say if I ever write my memoir, it's going to be called From Soup to Nuts and Back. (laughs) Um, That's a a loaded question. Let's see. Where do I start? Uh, Well, you know, it's been an interesting ride. I say it's like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Um, You work at it like any other relationship. You have to work at it. And I I always say to people, it's kind of come full circle. and, And it really, we've learned to appreciate each other's differences because in the beginning, He's the boss, I'm the secretary, and then I become vice president of operations, and I become president of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and all these different roles, and then looking at, so I say the first seven years was like, he was sort of the boss, and then the second seven years, I, we, there was a power struggle, and then the third seven years, like, maybe we should learn to appreciate the differences, and the fourth seven years has been pretty nice. Um, but it's it's not easy, and it's hard, I think, for our families um, is much probably the hardest for our spouses, really, um, mm-hmm. because they've been the ones holding down the forts and raising the kids for the most part. And it's a con- you know, you're a mom. It's a constant question as you're evolving and your career is is starting to really um, thrive. You know, I worked for a long time before we could even afford to pay a toner bill or you know make our rent on time. And that was right about the time when the books started. One book, the first book hit a, a New York Times bestselling list. And then I found out I was pregnant and wow. I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, now what? You know, I remember walking to Jack's office and crying saying, I'm pregnant. He's like, that's great. I'm like, it is it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then he said, you should get pregnant every year. I've never seen you work so hard. I mean, I had so much. <laughs> so, uh, so we, you know, you just, you, you make choices. And for me, I chose to continue to work. I brought my son to work with me in the beginning. I had a full-time nanny, um, to this day, she's just turning 40, running a 100-mile race this weekend. My son and I are going to go meet her at the finish line. But wow. I had this nanny for their entire life. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just I, – I figured I could stay home and not do this work, or I could live my passion and hopefully be a good role model for them. And so, you know, over the years, we've had these different conversations, and my boys say, Mom, not – you know, anybody can pick us up from school. Not anybody can make chicken soup. I think they thought for a long time I was stirring chicken soup. So I love it. Love it. They're both functioning human beings. And, you know, one just graduated from college. The other one's halfway there. So, uh, so far they seem like they're going to work out. Let's hope. Super. Super. Well, I mean, see, this is the two schools of thought that always go with this, particularly, and it always seems to be, unfortunately, women who fall into the stigma and the judgment category. You know, you're a careerist, you've got lofty goals, you have aspirations, 
Uh, one hand, people say, oh, you know, go do what you want to do. That's great role modeling for your kids. You're, you know, the, what better way to empower your children to empower themselves and really step into their own abundance and to step into their own greatness. But in order to really aspire to that level, that comes with huge sacrifice. It comes with huge juggling. Uh, you know, the, the priority the pack of priorities that shifts all the time. And then that's where people, women, I find especially come under scrutiny. Men don't seem, you know, that's kind of inherent. People expect men to run at that pace and, uh, you know, and continue to have their hands in a million different pots and nobody questions how about they they manage to achieve any of that. But you put a woman in the same type of position who is passionate, is impassioned, you know, has lofty goals, and all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, the mother hat that you wear comes under question. Did you ever feel that scrutiny in your journey, Patty? Oh, all, all the time. I mean, I, I definitely did. And, and I got it from the, the moms in my neighborhood who most don't work. Um, right. You know, they're they're pretty uh, privileged. Mm-hmm. And and today they say, oh, my God, can I go with you? Can I carry your suitcases? I'm miserable. <laughs> So that's the one side. And then you get the other side of, you know, you, you get married and you think, oh, we're going to have these kids. And they're, and someone needs to write a book called what to, what to expect when you say I do. Like Mm. what you're expecting because what does bedtime early look like to you? Is that like 7 a or 7 p.m. or 9 30 p.m.? So Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things. But my husband grew up in a family where his mom was gone a lot and his dad died when he was three. So he had this, dream of having this family and it was going to be perfect. And I was going to be this mom that stayed home and had a, made a really clean house and looked good. And, you know, it was just, we would never really had that conversation. And mm-hmm. I got pregnant. He said, well, you're going to stay home, right? And I said, no, no, <laughs> I could see this vision of me being chained to the kitchen table it was not going to happen. I'm a control freak. Right. And so, um, so we had a lot of issues around it for a long time and I, at one point I finally went, oh my gosh, like you need, to, this is about you. Not, I, I was taking it personally and really his issues were his issues. And I didn't have any around my parents really. It was kind of a freaky family that I grew up in. They seemed pretty normal. Um, so when I realized it was more about his mother than it was about me, I, I kind of went, you know, I'm not going to buy this story anymore. So you're going to need to go work on this. And he actually went to something called um, the Hoffman process, which is all about how we take some of our negative love patterns from our parents and we, and we pay them forward to our spouse and own children. Yay. Lucky us. So so he went to that. And at the end, it was like a nine day program. And he came out of it and he said, Oh my gosh, the thing that I've been bashing you for your whole life has been the game changer for me. That probably is going to save my life and my marriage. Wow. Um, so that was kind of nice and liberating and, you know, and it goes up and down and I could still, if I'm gone a long time, which I do that. And then I come back, I get a little flack and, um, and I just have to notice like, okay, that's just him saying he misses me. And Mm -hmm. it's something, it's not anything more than that. I don't need to put any extra stories around that because it just takes up too much energy. So yeah, I definitely had to deal with it. I mean, there was a lot of guilt and, and resentment and all kinds of things. And, but I really remember at one point in my career, I was on my publisher's private plane and I was flying. I was at a book signing or at a book show and he actually said, let's go to a race. And we, so we got in the plane and we went to a horse race, which we shouldn't have done, but we did. And <laughs> it was really fun. And my book was number one at the time. Chicken Soup with a Christian Soul was doing so well. And I remember my husband called me and was really not happy about something. And I thought, you know what? 
and so I, I was living in that space. And, and then I, I realized, I said, okay, you're on a private jet. You're going to this race. Um, you know, this, if you're not present, you're going to miss this too. So you can miss being at home and you can miss being where you actually are. If you want to keep being preoccupied with these thoughts of guilt and all this other stuff. And so at that point I just went, okay, I'm making a choice right now. Wherever I am, I'm going to be. Uh And, and I let it go. And it was a game changer and it was not an easy process. And I don't know if everyone has to go through the same pain and suffering that I did before you get to that place. Um, I don't know if people could just listen to that story and say, I'm going to make that choice too. Mm-hmm. But if it's possible, I would say try it. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, we know I, I'm – unfortunately, I'm one of those people that falls within that 50% demographic of failed marriages. And so, you know, you're definitely speaking to a lot of people here who either are – trying to resolve the issues within their marriage. And a lot of that comes with the external stress that's tied into how that then affects the family, whether you're talking about we're expected to work longer hours. Uh, you know, there's no such thing. I There's no such thing as a 40-hour work week. I don't really understand that. You know, so then when you've got the competing needs of kids and, you know, you've got a significant other and you're trying to balance it all, um, no doubt that's going to be a recipe for all kinds of dissension and all kinds of conflict and things that people as a couple, if they're committed to doing so, both parties pushing forward, but doing so understanding what new tools, because you can say till the cows come home, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a little counseling session or whatever, but some things don't work for people, which means you just have to figure out other aspects of what's available in which to do that. So I know that what you just said there will resonate with the listening audience and more so again when the podcast is released and people can actually take the time, play it back, pause it, take notes. Um, so I really appreciate you being raw and candid with us, Patty, because that's the other thing, and this segues into my next question. So people look at you, Patty, and people go, wow, like this woman has it all. She's an overnight success. We know that that's not true. We know that doesn't exist. A uh, lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into carving out what you and Jack together have managed to uh, aspire to accomplish for yourselves and always continuously being committed to perpetual growth. So what would you say to the people who are tuning in and just thinking there's no way that what you could say could possibly resonate with them because you're operating at a different echelon in life and that perhaps you were born with a certain essential ingredient or a silver spoon in your mouth or, um, you know, you don't understand adversity. You, you know, you, you got hooked up with Jack Canfield and the rest is history. What would you say to correct or debunk some of that? Well, my father would say there was no silver spoon, but she definitely wanted one. <laughs> he would always, he, he always wanted the best of everything. You know, don't buy me 10 pairs of no-name jeans. I just want the one branded pair, you know, when I'm eight years old. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, and this is, and I think this is the, one of the gifts that I was given when I met Jack was that I also met Mark Victor Hansen, who became mm-hmm. a author on all of our different books. And he was always the glass is half full no matter what and multiple sources of income and he would say kid you got to fake it till you make it and you got to believe it to see it and I always would say okay Marky if this book thing doesn't work we can always start a church because he was a Bible scholar and he worked with Buckminster Fuller and and that's really just what it is I mean you have the first of all I think anybody can have anything that they want if they really figure out first what is it that they want which even goes back to the last conversation we were having about Spouses, like when you sit down with somebody and say, what do we really want here? When you're really clear, when you have total clarity about what it is you want, 
then you can create that. But Absolutely. We don't ask ourselves that question. We just sort of get on this wheel called life and we just get going and we keep our head down and we don't look up. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, it's, it's a, a much more difficult journey. But when you really take into account that if I want to get from where I am now to where I want to be and then back into a strategy to get there, you're pretty likely that it, it, it'll, it'll happen. Um, and it's doesn't happen overnight and it's a ton of work. And, um, I say, you know, the next book I'll write is take my advice. I'm not using it. You know, <laughs> I'm over there like, Hey, you can double your, your, your money and triple your time off. I'm like, wow, how come I didn't learn that one? Right. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think you just have to go for what it is you want and, you know, work, you don't have to work hard. You need to work smart. But lots of times it takes a, it takes a long time to get there. And, Again, I mean, we, you know, when I met Jack, he was driving a purple Dodge van that was a color of bark and it smelled like cardboard because he was constantly tracking curriculum vibes back and forth everywhere. And I was driving my little Dodge you know, Colt that was white and I was just happy it had air conditioning and a, and a radio. <laughs> you know, so I, I think I just, I, you know, we have these defining moments in our life where we make choices. Yes. And it's not like a have to, it's a choose to really. And, and so one of those major choices for me was working with Jack. I had a, I had an opportunity to make a hundred thousand a year right out of the shoot with one of my friends who owns car dealerships. And she said, come and work in finance. And I really struggled with that, but I had gone to one workshop. I'd never done a workshop ever. And I went to this one because my boss sent me when I was in Santa Barbara and he said he, he was going to leave the company and become a trainer and I was like, you can't leave. I only took this job because I liked you. And mm-hmm. I went to this weekend workshop and I'd never heard of setting goals or anything really. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about self-help, but I set a goal to make $25,000 a year by January 1st, uh, 19, I want to say 1990. Mm-hmm. It was, this was probably in March of 1989 and I was making 14,800 a year. Mm-hmm. And in September of that same year, a few months later, I was making 25000 a year, actually thirty. And And so I think by doing the work that we do and being open to possibility that anything's possible, and I've seen miracles, I mean, things that I just thought, there's no way. But then again, I remember sitting at a conference table that is the one I'm at now, only it wasn't covered with other people's books, and <laughs> like it is today. Uh, and... And I remember Jack and I and Mark sitting down and we had this conference room and it had this big weird wall that had this fabric on it. It was kind of like hairy and we had all these stickies all over it. I mean, literally the wall was probably 20 feet long and it had all these to do's. And I remember Mark saying, we're going to sell 5 million books by December 31st, you know, I don't know, 2000 or something. And I, and I said, all right, whoever has that crack pipe, pass it over here. <laughs> But then, you know, 250 million books later or 500 million books later and a billion dollar brand. I mean, who would have thunk, you know? So if two funky guys and a valley girl could create that, then anything's possible. I mean, absolutely. You know, we we made every mistake in the book. I mean, every mistake you could possibly make. Mm -hmm. So um, I say just you got to there's nothing worse than than saying I could have or I should have. So it's, you know, it's like, just go for it. What do you have to lose? It's, and I don't think there's anything, I don't think there is anything such as failure. You know, a lot of people say, well, what if I fail? You can't fail. You just have more data of what didn't work. But 
it's not the end of a road. It's just you're off course a little bit, you know? So it's just sort of reframing it in a way that you can. And then also when you're going into any new adventure or endeavor or anything else, I always say to people, you have to have a cheerleading squad. So the days where Jack was, I mean, Jack is very, he's brilliant. And a lot of people know him, the chicken soup guy. Um, But he's also really shy. And so I was the one that was always sort of asking for everything and calling and being, I was the obnoxious one at some level. <laughs> and uh, I remember Richard Carlson once said, geez, did you go to the Mark Victor Hansen school of asking? So I was like, Hey, where's my testimonial? <laughs> yeah. Love it. That's Love it. Them. So well, let's, it's important to have that. It's just important to have a cheerleading squad. You need to have people that are positive about where you're going to support that because it's scary. Well, I, I think it, and I've said this before, but I mean, this, you just opened up the gateways to this one. So I think it's also, if not more important to be your own cheerleader. And we've talked about this, Patty. Like I say certain things, uh, very few things, but I say them consistently because I truly believe in them. And one of those is, you know, be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, be your own best friend. Because if you're relying on external support or cheerleaders, as nice as those things are, and we certainly always appreciate them when they show up in our lives. But if you don't fundamentally believe in yourself, if you're not able to, you know, micromanage yourself, if you're not able to feed yourself through dialogue, the good stuff, you know, good luck, you know, having anybody else sign on or believe in you because truly how you're dialoguing with yourself knowing that you're with yourself 24-7, that's the energy that you're emitting out into the the universe. And that's what people are attracted to. When we talk about frequency, when we talk about synergy, when we talk about vibe attracting tribe. So as much as I really truly agree with you, and I'm grateful for all the supporters and the cheerleaders in my life, I don't think those cheerleaders and supporters would have showed up in my life if they didn't see the fact that I believe in myself first and foremost. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think that you know, lots of times whenever we do anything new or different, people that are close to us tend to get scared for us. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, they're not doing it because they don't think we're amazing. They're doing it because they don't want to see us be disappointed. And so for me, when, you know, I had my dad saying, well, maybe you should take this job. This is He's kind of a hippie. And I had to really intuitively check in with myself and, and know that that was just his own fears trying to protect me as his daughter. Mm-hmm. But I to make the right decision. And for me in my career at this point at 53 and, you know, sort of feeling a little bit more free about it. Um, it's really good for me to have people around me as, cause I'm constantly evolving and, you know, I'm human. So I do have my moments of, Oh, why would anybody want to hear me talk? And, you know, I'm on my way to do a speech and, and I'm nervous and I'm thinking they could have just had Jack. It would have been so much easier. But then I have, you know, I have my team saying, no, you need to go do this. They want to hear from you. And um, so, you know, it just it's nice to have that extra push that doesn't allow you to settle. And so True. I know that I have those weaknesses and I teach people how you have to look at the obstacles in your life. Sometimes they're us, they're ourselves. Yeah. Regardless of what those things are, how can you, you know, how can you support those things so you still can accomplish it? Even though, you know, for me, it's like I'm not good at certain things, I'm lucky now that I can afford to have people around me that are good where I'm not. When I wasn't good at things, I didn't have any money, I would barter with people mm-hmm. and do whatever I could, like trade everything. Like, you do this, I'll do that for you. you if you help me write this copy, I'll go clean your house. Yep. I don't care. It just <laughs> yeah. 
you know, so <laughs> it's not what you know, it's who you know, because Jack yes. knows everything and Patty Aubrey kind of knows everybody. So that was also part of our, our good juju too. Um, but that's, I just think it's important to not be around those naysayers when you're doing anything new because it can just be that one defining thing that talks you off your ledge in a way, you know, keeps you from going to that next space. Absolutely. And I want to go back. I want to circle back to something you said not that long ago when you were talking about, you know, writing all the sticky notes. I do all that stuff, too. And I'm sure most people who are immersed in the personal world, uh, you know, of development and whatnot, they're doing the same things. You know, if we know that those things have taken off in other people's lives, why would you not at least even attempt it? But it's not just for the sake of going through the motions. It's you've really got to believe in it. You've really got to see it. You've really got to want it. And it's coupled with taking massive action because it's not about just sitting around around, you know, if I wish things into the universe, they're just going to suddenly show up and they're going to align for me. So when when you were talking about what you did about, you know, this is what I envision as my salary for this particular year and this is what I envision going forward for the following year, um, you know, and how many books are going to get sold, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when we talk about mindset and, you know, we talk about, I think talking things into existence, you know, it really is about, I see it out there and it's just a matter of in present time catching up to the vision that I see so crystal clearly. And so there's no coincidence to this because there's so many people who cite the same results and, and results don't lie. So, as a manifester, as a visualizer, as somebody who has lofty goals and as somebody who's as accomplished as what you are, Patty, what would you also wish to share and impart with the listening audience in terms of other tangible tools outside of sticky notes that really help bring your vision into fruition? Well, I think first of all, like what I like to do is just brainstorm. So if yeah. I have something new, I just put everything out there and I do, I make those notes everywhere and I sometimes I just use flip charts and People will say they've come into my house while I'm working on a new project. It looks like a beautiful mind. I have these giant, I have the giant stickies, you know, on the windows. Yeah. <laughs> pretty scary. Um, but then I would say then chunk those, take each one of those things and then build out that piece of it and then prioritize them in which order. But we used to do something every day called the rule of five. And so we would take five, we had to do five things every day to better the sales of the first book. And so that might mean I sent out um, five books to five radio shows or I wrote a little ad for a family magazine that was free outside the supermarkets or I called a buyer that was non-traditional. Like, um, for example, I had sent a book to the guy that um, was running Skill Pass seminars at the time. He may still be there. And and I was saying to him, you should sell this book in the back of all your seminars because they were selling other products that Jack had done. And he, for months he didn't, he didn't respond. And then he called, I called him one day and he said, you know what? I actually used that book over the weekend and used it. He was a minister also. And he said, I used it in my sermon. This is an amazing book. And he wow. started 5,000 books a month, at, you know, and that was literally paying for us to eat at that point in time. So it's like, I was constantly, constantly doing things where, Everywhere I looked, I was asking myself, how does a chicken soup book fit here? A guy walked in my office and was selling, um, he came in, do you ever remember people that would come into offices and they would leave a toy and they'd say, you know, just, yes, yes. Okay. So this guy walks in my office. I think he was selling boxers at the time or ties or it wasn't toys, but, and he, and I said, well, what kind of company is this? He said, well, we're in 40 countries. We do like a billion dollars a year in sales, B2B. We just walked to all these different places. 
And I said, well, you should be selling this book. And he was like, huh? And so I talked to him about how it was a great book and he should read it. And Good for you. He, he was about my age. I remember Mike Roberts, this guy is still ta- – I still talk to him every now and then. And um, and so he took the book back to his boss and they bought 5,000 units and they tested them. And he called me at the end and I was sure it was going to work. You know, oh, they're going to love it. And he called and said, okay, we sold through the books, but it came out a tenth of 1% below the test. So we're not going to order more. And I was like, oh, man, because I had visions of millions of books running through this pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so um, about a year later, I saw the same guy at Book Expo of America, and he just put his head down and was shaking it. Like He's like, I told, <laughs> I told them this was going to work. It was like the biggest phenomena ever, you know. And so it's really like always being open to what what it looks like. And, and I always say do the hard things in the morning. Yes. I, I think, like, you know, I have these lofty goals or ideas um, or enthusiasm very early in the morning. So make those uncomfortable calls early while you're, before you're exhausted at the end of the day or overwhelmed or wondering why the heck you got yourself into this crazy mess anyway. You know? Absolutely. Well, I, I want to pick your brain on this, Patty, because, you know, I think this is going to really make an impression, and I'm really going to be listening to this particular answer. So, you know, we understand the risk that's involved in becoming entrepreneurial, whether people put themselves out there to write a book and you don't know where that's going to land or how well the sales are going to go or who that's going to resonate with. But for anything in the entrepreneurial world, call it author, call it anything, um, you know, we understand that, you know, you've got to be patient. We understand that you can't be short-sighted. We understand that if something's not working, you've just got to pivot and you've got to reconfigure, uh, you know, align with the right people who have done what you want to do and have done it successfully, get mentors, get coaches, etc. But as an entrepreneur, I mean, you talk about the days when, you know, it was hard to know where your next meal was going to come from and there was no guarantees. So we understand you know, the the whole ideology of never quit, you know, and if it's important enough to you, you just keep going and you keep going. And if you come up against a wall, you break through the wall or you find a way to jump over the wall or go around the wall. But when people talk about, okay, but there comes a point where you need to be pragmatic, you've got to be realistic, you know, at some point, you know, perhaps the money's going to run out. At what point as an entrepreneur do you make that fundamental decision? Okay, maybe I got to throw in the towel here. Maybe I've got to figure out you know, doing something differently, uh, you know, taking the skills you've already acquired along the way, but applying it perhaps to something else? Or do you encourage people knowing how things have resulted for you? You know, for the people who do want to quit or they're contemplating quitting, they could be actually like, as Tony Robbins has said, or somebody said, two millimeters away from really just going from great to extraordinary. Do you encourage people to keep going or do you think some people are just truly disillusional with their business model and, and they just got to figure out something else in terms of plan B? Well, I think that those are both right answers depending on the situation. Yeah. For, um, for us, I don't think... Quitting wasn't an option because we were so far down the road. There was no turning back. on, on mm-hmm. And we were getting feedback. You know, people that were reading our books were t- saying, we're getting letters like, oh, my gosh, I was going to kill myself, and I didn't because of you. But mm-hmm. we also had a lot of feedback prior to that because Jack and Mark were telling these stories from stage. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that the stories were landing because we were that people were coming up afterwards, and we were selling out of the books every time we went and did a talk. Um, or, you know, people were requesting things. So, so we, we kind of had enough information, but, you know, we were also rejected by every single publisher 
that was in existence um, mm-hmm. at the time when we when we sold this first book to the point where our agent gave us the book back and said, I can't sell this. I mean, they, the common theme was America likes blood and guts. Nobody wants this nicey, nice stuff. <laughs> and the strangest thing, I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but so the agent gave us the book back, which was kind of a good thing since we made hundreds of millions of dollars and he would have gotten 15%. So right. we, we saved on that gig. Um, but we, we had, so at the end of the day, when he gave us the book back, Jack and Mark said, okay, we're going to go to b- the book expo this year. It was in LA. So that we didn't have to fly anywhere. And they said, we're just going to have print. Let's put these manuscripts and give out a full manuscript to every single publisher. And so I was busy putting their little care packages together. And, um, Jack called this guy that he had known that ran, um, seminars. And he said, Hey, I know you have a book at book, our booth at book expo. Could I park my stuff in there? Um, so my friend and I can go out and try to sell our book. And he said, sure. And so at the end of the day or at the end of the weekend, they were very disappointed. And the guy that they were borrowing his booth, this guy, Peter Vegso said, um, you know, I'll, I'll publish your book if you want. And, and Jack looked at him and said, you know, that's nice, but we really want a publisher that likes the book. And he said, well, give me a copy. And so he took a copy. He went to the, he went to the airport and he couldn't even read the book because he was already in tears, like three stories in. Mm-hmm. And he called and said, I love this book. We want to publish it. Wow. This was a $7 million. I think that the publishing house at the time, health communications was a $7 million company today. It, it's, you know, I mean, he made probably a half a billion dollars in, in the 18 years we were publishing with him. So it was one of those big moments for him as well. And we went on to publish 230 titles with him. So, um, but what's really even more cool about that story is that it was the, he was the guy that where we started, that was, that was who was right in front of our faces. And we like got said, Oh, you know, I always say to people, why do we have to like walk out our front door, step over the people on our front porch that are right in plain sight? go to the bus stop, get on the bus, take that 10 miles, get off the bus, walk to another corner and try to sell whatever it is you have. Like so often we're just so busy. Again, it's like we missed that, that mm-hmm. opportunity it was right in front of us the whole time. Sort of the grass is always greener on the other side, you know? And so um, I didn't even know that story until about a year ago when we were shooting the soul of success movie uh, about Jack's life. And so that was, that was pretty cool, actually. Wow. That's outstanding. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, so Patty, for somebody who, again, is as accomplished as what you are and knowing that you're committed to personal growth, personal development, and you're really heavily entrenched in this world, you know, for everything that you've already accomplished, what else is there possibly out there for you that might still be on your list of things to tackle, uh, things to embrace? You know, what else is there other than just continually honing and doing what it is you're already successfully doing i don't know netflix uh, <laughs> um, you know it's interesting i mean i've been successful but i've also been pretty comfortable the last few years and so in the in the past couple of years and again this is for all the entrepreneurs like if something's not working you you have to have that flexibility and be t- willing to tweak stuff at all times mm-hmm. so for me part of that is always looking at the current business and saying okay what's working today but may not work tomorrow Mm. Or what's not doing so well anymore and what needs to be retweaked. So I'm constantly looking at the same content over and over and over again and looking at new spins for it. And so, as you know, we've recently put together this online certification for the success rules. And so that's been sort of, that was outside my comfort zone. I didn't know anything about editing video and, 
and creating products like that. And that was a huge two year endeavor, which was a game changer. So that's a huge commitment in my future of just really wanting to have a million people doing this work. And, and the work is really the principles that we use to make, to build a billion dollar brand. And if you follow them, they actually work. So that's kind of a big thing. But the other piece too, for me as a woman and the one who is the queen comparison expert, <laughs> that hi, how, how do you rate to Jack Canfield, Mr. Harvard? Not so well. So, <laughs> Um, so for me, it's now about being on stage a lot more and doing a lot of, of the things that I was behind the scenes doing for him for all those years. And because I, it's time for more women to stand up and speak up and show up as who they really are. And, yes. um, you know, I used to say, what, you can see me, I'm not invisible, you know, cause for a long time I felt invisible, but I was making myself invisible by comfortably staying put behind the scenes. So that's a big thing for me and it's scary. You know, I, I lots of times want to wish I hadn't booked that event or something, but it's mm-hmm. I'm trying to always push myself a little bit further until it becomes comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, cause I, I don't feel like I can really say I love speaking or I don't love speaking until I am completely comfortable up there knowing I'm making an impact and then deciding is this worth it for me? Because in the beginning, everything's uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. it's parts that I think, Oh, I can just quit doing that and sell more of my programs. But no, it's important, I think, for me to be an example for other women that I was a C student that just barely made it by and took nine years to go through college or whatever it was. And, um, you know, I, I'm just like everybody else. And if I can help somebody else believe in themselves just enough to go for a dream, to live for the reasons they were put on this planet to live for, then I feel like that's what I'll be doing. Beautiful. Okay, so two questions. I'm going to try and hold these thoughts simultaneously because they're both important to me to ask you. So in terms of what you've outlined, we know that your projected goal, I mentioned this at the top of the hour, introducing your bio. So 2030, you want to, you know, land a million people. You want to be able to connect with a million people. Where are you right now? I know this is kind of preliminary uh, and you're getting your feet wet and you did say that it took two years to kind of get to that point. So how do you track the numbers? Is it based on people who actually sign up or is it based on testimonials? Like how are you tracking that data? I track it by the people that actually get certified in the program and then go out and teach it. So okay. I, I currently have about 3,500 people certified. Wow. All countries. And that's been in the last two years. Uh, before that in nine years of only teaching this content live, I had 480. So I went from that to, 10 times in it almost by creating a new version of that certification, which is online. And, um, and it's very linear so that people are able to, to really track it. And I'm seeing now the next phase and, and we're always creating what's next. So the next phase is kind of a home party model where then all of our trainers go out and they can train other people to train other people to train other people. So it's going to start going much more quickly now that mm-hmm. we've got the, the model in place and I'm excited about it. Fantastic. Congratulations. Awesome stuff. So with all the different hats that you've worn within this 30-year trajectory with Jack, what is it that you are most proud of if you're able to kind of dissect it and, and label it or identify it as one single thing? And I know one had to happen before the other could happen, and it was a succession of back-to-back things that were all interconnected. But if you could only continue to do one aspect of what you've done in this journey, whether it be speaking, whether it be your online programs, whether it be face-to-face, whether it be writing, publishing, if you had to narrow it down, could you pick? 
Uh, it would be kind of tough, but I think probably the thing I'm most proud of is this this certification course that we're that we've been promoting the last year and a half or two years because mostly because everybody said to me, "You're crazy. This will never work." Right. <laughs> I mean, everybody, my team, my partner, Mr. Positive, he's mm-hmm. like insane. And so I literally took my toys and went home and worked in this environment where I just had to plow through this stuff to create this new life-changing, game-changing uh, endeavor. And it really, I mean, we, we've, it's done unbelievably well financially. It's given us a ton of freedom in new ways that I didn't think were possible. And it worked. And the, and the, the essays I get from the certified trainers, they are unbelievably life-changing. And so, and there was a, I mean, I won't lie. There's some nights where I was up at four in the morning looking out, watching the moon set, you know, the moon on the water. And, um, and I thought, am I crazy? Am I drinking my own Kool-Aid? Is this not going to work? <laughs> you know, I, I had a couple of fearful moments, but I, or it was either that or I was resenting someone that didn't believe it was going to work or, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. And so I, I did it anyway and it's done really well. And, and that's a, kind of another don't give up story. Like, and it came through me. That was more of a, that program was really a download from the universe. So I knew, I knew I wouldn't have gotten that download if it wasn't meant to be. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I would say that's probably my biggest, proudest moment. Well, no one's calling you crazy now, Patty. <laughs> I, I think they still call me crazy. <laughs> for different reasons, though. I'm sure it's not based on the innovative end, but uh, good for you. Good for you for honoring your spirit and stepping into it. You know, I, I really admire and respect that about you, uh, regardless of all the previous accolades and all the, the slam dunks that kind of led you to that point of just trusting yourself, you know, just, you know, let's do something different. Let's, let's reconfigure it. Let's, let's get it out there and let's get it out to the masses and get it out to the collective because really why would anybody who feels they have an important message choose to impart that message playing small in your own community or with your own state or, you know, your own friends and family? I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose and I believe would be counterintuitive for what it is you're wanting to achieve in getting your message out there, knowing it's a powerful profound and transformational one, right? Okay. Well, you know what, Patty, I'm cognizant of time here. It always goes much too quickly for my liking, and this has been so fun. I could, you know, just based on our other conversations we've had in the past, I could talk to you for hours. Um, But if there was one one nugget that you could impart to the listening audience, uh, and it could do with any realm of topics that we've covered in this interview or anything outside of what's already been discussed, what would be the one takeaway breakthrough that you would want the listening audience to uh, to hear from you in terms of living fearlessly? I think it's just to continue to live fearlessly. I mean, just to know that that stuff will show up, that you will have fears. And if you are going to go out and try something new or grow or stretch yourself um, or start to say no, or quit that job or leave that marriage or whatever it is, mm-hmm. honor yourself. And it's really, it's, it's that time for, I think, especially more so for women, I think, especially with everything that's going on, but to know that when you live your truth and you talk about vibration, truth is the fastest, highest level vibration there is above mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. So when we speak our truth about what we really want and who we really are, we tend to have much more universal support, I think, than we would have otherwise. So, Bingo. Even, yeah. So even if the truth is scary, trust it. It's, mm-hmm. It really is. Um, it's worth it. 
Absolutely. Well, and I love the fact that from everything we covered in this interview, you know, you are the walking, breathing example of, you know, that being true. You know, if you didn't trust it yourself, you wouldn't be where you are today. We wouldn't be on uh, global radio right now. You wouldn't have the stories and the examples and the funny nuances in which to share with us to show that everything is, in fact, possible. But you have to claim your truth. You have to proclaim it, and you have to share it out there, and you have to really just go like gangbusters. Really, you do. So what I would like to do, too, Patty, is I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to allow the listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers to know how they can sign up and register for the online training. Well, they can go to either jackhamfield.com and, mm-hmm. and find all of our certifications and trainings there, or they can go to uh, trainthetraineronline.com. I think. Fantastic. I think <laughs> The best bet is to go to Jackson.com. I don't know why I don't know that. I'm so sorry, Lisa. No, that's okay. That's okay. We can certainly include that information when we do the issuing of the podcast release all over social media. Um, but where can people personally reach out to you if they want to do, like, I don't know, do you do one-on-one consultations or are you too busy with the online training to really make yourself available to people on, like, a one-on-one situation? I do do one-to-one coaching one-day events um, where people come to Nashville and I work with them there. And I also do uh, a mastermind group, and I run those for six months at a time. And so though anybody that's interested in getting any of that type of work from me, you go to Patty Aubrey, which is P-A-T-T-Y-A-U-B-E-R-Y.com. You can find out more information about that stuff there. Fantastic. Well, Patty, I want to thank you again for the gift of your time. I certainly myself personally got so much out of this. I've been taking notes and I can't wait for the podcast link to be issued uh, because then I don't have to worry about being on. I don't have to worry about asking questions. I can actually just play it back and sponge up everything that you shared with us today. So I just want to th- say thank you, um, you know, and for other things that you've done behind the scenes for me, uh, you've really gone over and beyond, but that's just a testament to who you are and your genuine, authentic character. So I just want to say, Patty, it's been a privilege. It's been an honor, and if there's anything I can do to pay it forward to be of service to you, you kindly let me know, and I'd only be too happy in which to do so, my friend. But um, to the listening audience, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to tuning in to my program today, specifically with Patty Aubrey and myself, here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Again, we go live here every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 o'clock Central, 11 Eastern, for an interview that eventually turns into a podcast, which, of course, course, as I've indicated at the top of the hour, you can find over on my host page, also Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on the C-Suite Radio Network. I want to thank you again for being over half a million Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald podcast subscribers, for your loyal listenership, for your ongoing feedback and testimonials. It means a lot to me. And I just want to encourage you, uh, as I always do, I'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Wishing you a fantastic weekend. And once again, thanks to my corporate sponsors, Holton Honda, and for forever to the contact talk radio network as well as to the c-suite radio network love and gratitude take care all my best bye-bye you've been listening to living fearlessly with your host lisa mcdonald this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com